Hello, Chris here with another installment of the Make It Podcast. And did you know that you can now listen to this podcast on Stitcher or on the Stitcher app? So please do that today. And before we get to today's guest, I want to encourage everyone to go to our website at www.bonsai.film and click on the resources link. There you will be able to join our creative community and be given access to an ever-growing slew of film-related resources and tools at your disposal, of course, at zero cost to your wallet. Again, go to www.bonsai.film to enjoy and leverage our ever-growing resource library, amongst many other things like all of our back episodes of this very podcast or like our online shop where you can pick up a Make It hat or hoodie or tee or autograph poster, for example, or potentially even reach out to us for a free consultation uh, on your next project. We would love to work with you uh, in a film brand consultation. So, now on to today's podcast guest. On this episode, we have a conversation with Shannon E. Johnson. Shannon E. Johnson, or perhaps better known as the professional pen, is a script consultant for writers in all stages of the writing process. Shannon prides herself in helping writers fill holes, provide dimension to characters, and most importantly, in her words, cut, cut, cut the unnecessary crap. She provides script coverage, pitch preparation, proofreading, revisions, and rewrites to her clients who range from novice screenwriters to Hollywood actors and producers. A little bit on her background here. After receiving her MFA in film from Florida State University, Shannon became a junior creative executive in development and current programming at NBC Universal at the Sci-Fi Channel. It was there that she honed her skill to guide writers and producers from pitch to production on shows such as Alphas, Being Human, Haven, Sanctuary, and Warehouse 13. In 2010, Shannon left Sci-Fi to join a dance company. She has spent the last eight years as a full-time performing and teaching artist traveling to 48 states and more than 18 countries. Her credits include Amazing Grace, Ghost the Musical, Dream Girls, Sister Act, How to Quit Your Day Job, Step Africa, and Soul Defined. Shannon is also the founder of Mademoiselle Service and Social Club, a 501c3 charity that provides programming and scholarships for teen girls of color in Houston, Texas. So, without further ado, I give you a woman that loves a good thriller, but thrives off making your script a little less scary. Script consultant, Shannon E. Johnson. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice knowledge and insights of professional creatives in the film industry i'm your host chris barkley everyone, this is Shannon E. Johnson, the professional pin. I am a full-time script consultant. Now, what you may know me from, but you probably don't know me from it anyway, is I am a former creative executive at the Sci-Fi Channel, and I left that job. Yes, I quit for the stage, and for the last eight years, I have been in musical theater. So maybe you saw me in the first national tour of Ghost the Musical, or the first national tour of Amazing Grace the Musical as Princess P.A., or maybe you caught me at Dreamgirls out there in Maryland. But let's see, what am I working on now? Now I am working with my clients to help develop them as writers and develop their content. I have an online screenwriting course that's going to begin on Monday, January 28th. It's a five-week course to get your perfect outline ready so that you can be set up for a successful screenplay. I'm also going to be teaching live in Atlanta a five-week course on TV writing. And then I also have my own perfect personal projects going on. And all of that is great and well. And I'm calling from sunny California. Well, Granada Hills, California. 
Perfect. 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 Shannon, welcome. Welcome to our little show here, our little engine that could. And uh, what, I mean, my goodness, what haven't you done? Um, just looking at your resume and the things you've been able to accomplish in such short time is uh, really inspiring. And and what's even more interesting is, is that you grew up sort of in the country in Houston and that somehow led you to this path. Um, me and you have a, we have something in common. We, we both mm-hmm. went to college for journalism yes. and uh, initially, you know, in our undergrad. So I'm curious, you know, for me, um, I always, I always loved story. I mm-hmm. loved telling stories and hearing stories. And I would always integrate stories into almost everything that I did. And, you know, when you're, when you're, in college, you're like, well, what's the reasonable, what's the pragmatic way to tell a story? Oh, journalism. Mm-hmm. And, then you, and then you get into it and you realize it's really a lot of kowtowing to your editor. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and then you you kind of want to get out of it. The creative side of you is sort of immediately sort of uh, doused with, with water. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm sure it's not like that across the board. Um, I had a lot of great jobs in journalism. Um a lot of cool internships, but that's what got me out of. So I'm wondering two things. One, at what point growing up, you know, in the country, in Texas, close to Houston, did you know that you wanted to have a career in uh, film and, and in the creative writing realm? And two, what got you out of journalism? Wow. You know what? Those are two easy questions for me. So, um, I've known since I was eight years old that I wanted to be a writer. I did not know that I wanted to do TV and film because I, it, it had never crossed my mind that there were people who wrote films and who wrote television scripts. Like I did not comprehend those things. I only kind of lived in that world of you write a book and then it gets adapted for the screen. I never really thought about people existing who just wrote directly for the screen. But at eight years old, I was in my third grade class and Mrs. Jones, my teacher, gave us an assignment. It was our first descriptive uh, kind of assignment. And I spent a few paragraphs writing about a blade of grass. And (laughs) the teacher basically said to me, you should be a writer. And of course, when you're that age, your teachers are your heroes. So she told me I should be a writer. And I said, "Okay." And so from that moment (laughs) on, I was when people asked me, I was that weird kid. I wasn't, you know, going to be. Uh, a firefighter or, you know, a ballerina or whatever, you know, people asked me, I was going to be a writer and being in Texas, the place of the, of oil and gas, I was already the weird kid, you know? So I was always reading something, always writing something. My mother would have to tell me to go to sleep because I was writing or reading, not on the telephone. So that, that was an easy thing for me. And had she not told me that, would I have gotten there eventually? Probably. But the good thing is she told me when I was eight. So I had a goal. And you're right. When I got to college at Texas A&M University, which is even more in the country than um, Houston is, and it isn't now. If you go there now, it's like this little mini metroplex. It's kind of weird. But when I got to Texas A&M, that's exactly what it was. It was like, okay, great. You want to be an author. You're going to write books. But how are you going to make money, you know, on a daily basis? Like what's going to be your career while you write on the side? And I decided to go into journalism because I was going to do magazine writing. And it didn't take me long to get out of it, to be honest with you. Um, I had my first internship, which was actually at my university for the research magazine, which was probably very helpful in getting me out of journalism. (laughs) (laughs) If if I wasn't going to be able to tell stories the way I wanted to tell them, I definitely wasn't going to be able to do it in a research magazine. You know, it was all about the facts. It's only who, what, when, where, why. And I was always giving way too much information and, you know, also trying to embellish. And it's like, Hey, this is journalism. There's no embellishment. Um, so I had an opportunity for another internship in California for another magazine, which I don't remember what magazine it was at this point. Um, And the thing that stopped me from going is the thing that makes me do every single thing I want to do now. I was just afraid. I was like, okay, I'm going to be missing X amount of months of school. And I was one of those um, 
you know, type A, got to be in class, got to have everything done kind of person. So I just couldn't comprehend what it would mean to be missing class. I didn't realize, well, Shannon, you just have to take this semester off to go intern. And when you come back, you'll finish those classes and you'll graduate. I just couldn't comprehend that thing. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go out to California. Where am I going to live? How am I going to get there? How am I going to pay for it? All of those questions. And so I said, okay, fine, I'm not going to go. So I didn't take that magazine internship. And since I didn't take that internship, I ended up at the university's research magazine. And while I was there, my mother, with no information from me, sends me an article from a magazine about a black female TV writer. Mm. (laughs) And I read that and I said, oh, wait, I don't have to write the book first. (laughs) I write the script. Mm. Awesome. And it was then that I decided I would go to film school for graduate school. Yeah, you went to to Florida State and you got your MFA in film. Mm -hmm. And how, you know, we've had this debate uh, uh, in many conversations on this podcast before, um, but I'm, I'm curious what your take is. Is it is it necessary? Do you feel like do you feel like going to school for film if it's not USC or NYU or whatever? Is is it worthwhile? Is there what is the main value you think you got from it and would you recommend it? Yeah, I have a love hate relationship with college in general these days, especially uh, because of the, the, the price tag. Um, so, you know, unless you're going to be an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, something like that. I'm kind of looking at, you know, the education system with a side eye these days. Anyway, I think that a lot of the times you can just learn the information that you need on the job. Now, with that being said, some people are students. Some people need to be in a classroom. That's the kind of person that I am. Like I went to film school because I like being in a classroom, having someone teach me, having someone I can you know, ask questions to and get real time information from. That's the kind of person that I am. So I chose to go to film school. I was already living in Los Angeles. I had moved here. I had quit my my first job as an academic advisor and recruiter at uh, Texas A&M University. And I moved to LA and I was living on couches and things like that. So I was already on sets. I was already interning in, in big places. And I didn't I can't say I didn't know then, but I didn't realize then that I could have just stayed on that path. And who knows where I would have gone. Um, Hollywood's not a place where people care about your degrees. They care about your experience. So if I would have known at 22 that I didn't have to go to school and I probably could have ended up in the same place, maybe I wouldn't. But because I was a student, I'm, I'm the kind of person who likes to learn that way. I wanted to go to graduate school. The other thing is my family is a big bowl of overachievers. So my mother has X amount of degrees. My sister has X amount of degrees. Both of them are doctor. Dr. Johnson, both of them. And mm-hmm. so I was like, well, sheesh, I guess I at least need to get, <laughs> you know, what? <laughs> so I wanted, I wanted to get a graduate degree. So why not get it in something that I'm interested in learning? So with that said, is film school necessary? Not in the least bit of all degrees in the world. Film school is the last one that's necessary because again, when you get out here, people don't care about your degree. They care about your experience. Now, the difference is more people are going to film school because more people in general are going to college because that's what we tell people in school these days. Go to college, go to college, go to college. So now that film school is available when you get to college, more people are majoring in it, which means they're making their own networks. So the difference between now and 20 or 30 years ago is a lot of the people who are now in the industry have a degree. So they're looking at the degrees a little bit more, a little bit differently because now there's an, a connection between you. So, for example, uh, you said, like, is there a, is there a reason to go somewhere other than USC or NYU? Florida State, when I went, was number seven of the top 10 film schools. And that was back in 2007. Yeah. So I got I got there in six. Yeah. Yeah. So um it was yeah number seven in the top in the in the uh, top ten schools. Now Florida State does something different from other film schools. Florida State teaches you every single title there is, in on a film set, and you have to participate in each of them. So I was the best boy. I was the key grip. You know, I did first AC. I did everything. 
And the reason they do that is, A, because it's always good to know what's going on on the film set. But B, when you get to L.A., you can work because you can do all of those positions. And because of that, now that there are so many Florida State grads in L.A., guess what they're doing? Hiring Florida State grads because they know those people know what to do. They know that those people come out being good, you know, assistant, first assistant directors and second assistant directors and all of these other positions. So I think that going to film school for the network can be great. And I think if you're a student, if you're the kind of person who needs to be in a classroom learning, going to film school can be great. But if you're just going because you think it's going to get you that much more ahead than the person who didn't go but has been grinding for the past 10 years in L.A., that may not be true. Yeah, you took it right where I think I was going to go with it. So thank you for that. It's that is a great piece of information. It's just a great quote, which is Hollywood doesn't look for your degrees, look for your experience. And my mind immediately went to, well, is it easier to get the experience if you have the degree? Because I know you got the degree and then you had a lot of opportunities to be an assistant director on a few feature films and and TV shows, correct? Yes, but I don't think it was because of my degree. Um, Mm. um, Oh, also because when I did those things, I didn't have my film school degree yet. Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) I did those things right after undergrad. So I had my English and journalism degrees, but I didn't have a film degree yet. So I got, look, I think I lied my way into all of my (laughs) because I wasn't a student anymore. But for some reason, I had like three internships. Now, I will also say, I think some of those people just didn't care that I wasn't a student. They were like, look, if you're going to come here and work for free and not tell the the government, then fine. So I think a lot of those places already knew I wasn't a student. But one of them, I had to, I don't know if someone from my university filled out some forms for me. I don't know how I was there, but I had not been in school for over a year by the time I started interning. I got my first job as being an assistant to a director through a contact that I had. Mm-hmm. She knew that these people were prepping uh, for the for the film and she knew that they needed someone. And she threw my name in the hat and I went and I interviewed and they hired me. And so this was before all of the degrees. Now, well, I, what I will say the degree helped me with is I got into sci fi once I had my degree. And so all of this, all of the information that I had learned while I was in film school helped me to decide I wanted to go into development. So when I applied for that development position and I was able to, you know, write the coverage and do all the other things that I needed to do in order to get in, I think my degree helped me with that because I was the only person who was chosen. I think there were five people chosen out of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. I was the only person who was coming from film school. I was the only person with a graduate level degree, and I was the only person who wasn't currently living in L.A. working on someone's desk. Mm. Every other person had no degree, no film school, but they had been assisting people within the industry. And then they got up and got on the same level as me or or like I like to say the same level as them because they had far more experience than I did. So their experience got them to the same place that my degree got me. So it just really depends on what your path is going to be, you know? That's really interesting uh, for sure, because you're right. It, it's it, There is a specificity in the creative world around that. And I've always just thought, you know, the epiphany happened for me. Um, I started college as a music major, and I think we've talked about this before, but but I play piano and I'm a, I'm a mu- musician. And uh, I had a singing group in the past. And um, I think it was like some day at the end of my sophomore year, I kind of, I just had an epiphany. And the epiphany was that none of my heroes needed college to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the people I loved, that my heroes, you know, it was more about just actually living the actual life and letting that, mm-hmm. letting that sort of inform the art. So I immediately switched my degree to journalism because I thought that was, a, you know, a specific skill, a specific yeah, type mm-hmm. of writing. And you needed to know it to to, you know, have a professional sort of career. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm with you in that same way that that, yeah, in this field, talent will catch up with the degree really quickly. Yeah. Um, Especially sure. because film school degrees haven't always existed and even further writing degrees 
like a lot of these schools are, you know, teaching production and teaching editing and teaching directing, but they're not necessarily focused on the writer. And that's weird, but it's true. At least this is how I felt when I was applying for schools and I was looking through, you know, the syllabi, the syllabi and, you know, trying to figure out what, I, what I'd be learning while I was there. And then when you think about it and you look at most of the people who are now in the writer's room, these people come from all walks of life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. These people majored in all kinds of things and had all kinds of, now you can call them random, but all kinds of random careers and jobs that have made them these well-rounded people who can now tell stories. The majority of the people who are writing in Hollywood, specifically writing, are not people who have a writing degree yeah. of any kind, let alone English journalism, you know, film, anything of any kind. And this is a little bit off the agenda, but I'd, I'd be mad at myself if I didn't go back and dig in on something you said earlier. Um, you come from to quote you, a bowl of overachievers uh, in your family. (laughs) I don't know what it means, but it's a great visual. Uh, But, but no, I do know what it means actually. And and I, and I can relate. Um, I'm like the creative guy in my family. Um, And it makes you feel like a black sheep a little bit. Um, I assume that's who you are in your family. Has that been difficult for you? You know, how have you, navigated the waters of being the creative person in a family who, uh, or a family full of achievers. Yeah. You know what, Chris, I'm blessed. I, you know, I, I was not, or am not the black sheep. I don't know if, I mean, I'm not going to say, I don't know. My mother is just someone who allowed me to be who I am, Mm -hmm. you know, and I even thanked her for that maybe like two months ago when I moved to L.A. for the third time. <laughs> I said, <laughs> you know, thank you for letting me be who I am, because there are so many parents who are, are so concerned about their child's, you know, just stability and being able to, like, navigate through life that they want us to get into a career that's going to give us a certain amount of money mm-hmm. so that so that we'll be OK. And I don't know if it's because of who I am, period. I am a weird creative because, like I said before, I'm very type A. I'm very, you know, I was great in school. I graduated magna cum laude, you know, all these things. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if my mother ever had a moment of saying, you know, if Shannon doesn't take this kind of track, she's not going to make it. I think you have to look at your children and say, where are their strengths? Because if I can play into them, they're going to be okay. Right. And then just teach them all the other, you know, parts of being a responsible adult that have nothing to do with what job you go into. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And they'll be okay. I think my sister, um, who is an orthopedic surgeon, so she's brilliant in her own right, was totally fine with that's her lane and the creative is my lane. And I've always been totally fine with this is my lane and that's her lane. I'm not going to walk in and try to beat her in math or science and she's not going to walk in and try to sing and dance and write with me. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I, I appreciate the fact that I've never had to feel, you know, like the black sheep or like the oddball because I was so creative. I think the bigger thing is my friends and not necessarily my, you know, actual friends, I'm using this word friends loosely. So like your classmates, your associates and blah, 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 have always known me to be a creative person. So I think they always assumed I would still go into something creative, but because I was living in Houston, Texas, and you don't see very many people come out of that being creative, at least back then, now you do a lot more. I think it was hard for them to just comprehend, okay, no, wait, for real, you're going to be a writer. Okay. So when are you going to do a real, <laughs> Exactly. you know, like, okay, wait, for real, you're doing this musical theater thing. Okay, great. So when is that over? And then what are you going to do after that? You know, they're right. always looking for like that next so when are you going to just, you know, become a teacher or something? Yes, <laughs> you know? yes, yes. And I, and I think that they are finally getting to the place where it's like, oh, this is your career. Mm-hmm. It just looks different from theirs because my career is contract to contract. And so it can change every few months. Like, yes, I was doing this one thing then and now I'm doing this whole other thing now. And because that doesn't look stable to them and in real life, it isn't, (laughs) but because it doesn't look stable to them for them, it's like, okay, so when are you going to stop doing that and start doing something real? And I think they're finally getting to a place of, oh, it is real. It's just different. Mm -hmm. And knowing that different is okay. 
So I say that to, you know, parents all the time, like, know that different is okay. Play to your child's strengths and he or she will be fine. You know? Totally. And it's been my experience, honestly, that like, you know, people, people tend not to be able to imagine a world that they don't see themselves able to live yeah. in. Yeah, so, that so they don't participate in. Yeah, right. So if they couldn't, if they couldn't close their eyes and imagine themselves thriving in that world, then that world actually doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So, that, so, so that when you come and talk to them about uh, this world, this this it sort of seems like a fantasy, and then that's yeah. that's really where you sort of get marginalized into a hobbyist or or a dreamer. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. but yes, folks, it is a world. It is a great world. It's a wide <laughs> world. It's vast world, and. And actually, the world's a better place for it. So, so I love that you uh, had a great supportive parents, which make all the difference in the world, and, and you had the yeah. courage to to follow your heart. Um, one thing before we hop into something special here, um, I think I think people would read this on paper and say, you know, what in the world? So you had <laughs> you had a job at NBC Universal with the Sci-Fi yeah. Channel. And just to clarify for the listeners, when she said Sci-Fi, when Shannon, she, when Shannon said <laughs> Sci-Fi earlier, uh, she was talking about the Sci-Fi Channel. And there you were a junior creative executive in development and current programming. And you left that job after having worked on shows like Alphas, Being Human, Haven, Sanctuary, Warehouse 13. You left to go be in musicals on the stage and to dance <laughs> Um, people might say what was, you know, that, that seemed like potentially unwise, but, but for you, it was the right thing. Why was it? Why was it? It sounds, it sounds absolutely nuts, doesn't it? And on paper, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. On paper, it sounds absolutely nuts. And I had people look at me in my face and tell me that it was absolutely nuts, especially because, you know, this was my first time having a full blown career, which means I had a nice salary and I was about to leave that to basically make a dollar (laughs) to sing and dance. Right. Um, but you know, I think what happened was, you know, growing up as this creative, I went to a, a fine arts and performing arts middle school. And so there I got to be in musicals. I was in gymnastics. I was in dance. I was doing all these things. But like I said before, I had never really seen people make a living doing it. So it was only a dream for me. Like I have always wanted to be on stage. The difference between that and writing was I could I could see the books in front of me so I could see that, you know, writing could get me somewhere. The singing and dancing and acting looked like if you're not in L.A. or New York, that's not your life. It's only a dream. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear about people leaving Houston to go, you know, become actors and singers and dancers. And Beyonce and I are around the same age. So she was doing this alongside me, which means I did. I wasn't privy to it. You know, I wasn't watching it happen like until she was on, you know, until Destiny's Child was on the radio. It was like, oh, they were doing that while they were here in Houston. Who knew? So. When the opportunity came to me, even though I was into my career, I was enjoying what I was doing. It was like, wait a minute, this is something I can actually do. And mm-hmm. what got was I went to see uh, The Color Purple when it was on tour back then in 2007 or so. Lies, 2010, 11. Right. And this was when Fantasia was on the tour. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching And I see a guy who I went to that performing arts middle school with is up on stage. And I'm looking at him like, wait a minute. Now, we started off in the same place, (laughs) you know, and here he is on stage singing and dancing and acting and tumbling and all these things that I know I can do. But I chose not to take that track because I didn't think it was real. He chose to take it. And there he is on this stage. And then next thing you know, not three years later, I was performing on that same stage. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's great. And so it was just like a, a, a leap. It's just like, all right, let's go do it because you only live once. Why not go try it? And if it doesn't work out, you can do something else. And that's that seems to be your personality and attitude through and through. And it may be, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny because you mentioned being an A-type personality, but mm-hmm. but just through 
our, our experience being, uh, you know, hands-on with a lot of creatives, a lot of creatives actually are, um, and, and some of them are unaware that they're a lot of times the most diligent and, mo- and, and the most intelligent person in the room and, and maybe even the most successful academically in the room. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think to, you know, Joshua and Amanda Bermudez, for example, or in a resume, you know, blows everyone away. And, you know, um, you know, Cicely uh, Hoffman, um, uh, who, who does costume design, but, but has a really strong background in academia. Like it's smart. Uh, Stephanie Black, uh, who went to NYU and, you know, Jackie Phillips who did the same and uh, Serena Khan went to USC. So all these people are super smart, have always done great in school, have always stood out. And um, for whatever reason, they don't necessarily have that worldview of themselves. So I think for you, uh, you can do anything you want to do because you always have. So, so I thank you. No worries. So, so the last four years or so you have been the professional pen and you've been doing yes. uh, screenwriting uh, consultations. You, you help people with format, you help people with pitch, uh, just a slew of, of, of services that you do. You do live workshops. I've seen you do um, ask me anything and live videos, which I think are great. Yeah. I've watched Thanks. you on all those. Um, so, so pretty cool stuff. And, and, and um, you really have put yourself out there uh, as someone who can, can bring a script forward and, and, and maybe make it the best possible work. Um, so I, I thought it'd be great for the listeners if we, kind of went through that process a little bit with you. So if I were a screenwriter, um, what would be the first thing I need to do to contact you and submit my screenplay? Do I submit the whole thing? Do I submit three pages, 10 pages, 15 pages? Start us at the beginning of this process. No problem. So when I work with writers, there are several ways you can contact me. You can go to my website, which is www.awriter.com for yourwriter.com. You can find me on Instagram, which is the professional pin. And if you go there, you can either DM me, which means direct message, or you can send me an email. There's a big button on my profile that says email. And the email address is info at a writer for yourwriter.com. And what I will say is because I am a woman of color, I am usually being sought after by other people of color. And a lot of those people, as we spoke about before, don't have the education in actual screenwriting. And that's one of the Mm. biggest things that knocks their confidence because they're thinking that everybody else has some kind of education in screenwriting. (laughs) Right. Right. When really, like I said before, most writers are just out there deciding they're going to be writers. It's not something they studied. So because of that, the services that I offer range all across the gambit, because depending upon the writer, they have a different level of need. So I always let people know I write, I work with writers of all levels. These are people who only have an idea and have never written anything, or they have tried to start writing, but they're kind of hitting a roadblock or they finished writing and they've done as much work as they can to it, but they know it needs more. So they send it to me to get it, you know, polished and ready to send off. Mm-hmm. So those would be kind of the questions that I would ask before you send it. Because even though this is my full-time job and this is how I make money, I like to work with people efficiently and I don't want them to waste money. So a lot of the times they will contact me and they say, I have this script and I just want you to revise it. I want you to go ahead and rewrite it. But my thing is I want to develop the writer. Like, yes, I want your money. Yes. I want to end up having a byline on your script. Sure. But at the end of the day, I want you to become a confident writer. So I always kind of stop them and say, well, let's start at the notes place because maybe it's not as bad as you think it is. Maybe I can give you some notes that kind of open up a new world for you and you can make these these revisions yourself. Or maybe it doesn't need a rewrite. So let's figure out exactly what it needs. So I call it script coverage because that's kind of what people call it in the industry. But I believe that I'm doing more than coverage to me. 
the industry provides kind of like a synopsis, which I don't really understand because you wrote it. So you know what you wrote, right? You don't really mm-hmm. need a synopsis of <laughs> your own writing, but that's great. They give you a synopsis, a, a synopsis. They kind of give you a conclusion, you know, that may kind of talk about some areas that could be tweaked, but usually telling you what a problem is and not giving you a suggestion to revise, right? Because yes. that's not their job in script coverage. Their job is to just tell you, look, these are the problem areas and this is why we would accept or deny it, right? So what I do is I give a page by page, <laughs> I give page by page detailed notes. So yes, I give notes on story. I give notes on character. I give notes on dialogue. I give notes on format. A lot of script coverage places won't give notes on format, but I do because I know I'm working with beginner writers. I do because I know I'm working with people who have been Googling how to how to write a screenplay and they bought Final Draft, but they're just kind of pushing buttons and everything's going to the wrong spot. And they don't know it's going to the wrong spot because they don't know much about screenwriting. Right. So I also give you know notes on format. And then I give I, I ask questions. I usually try not to give answers, but I ask questions about areas of need or areas of confusion to kind of get their will spinning. Because I want them to know, as I was reading the script, this is what I got. Is that what you wanted me to get from it? If so, great. If not, then let's figure out how we can get it to the place that you wanted. And usually if I'm asking the question, I already know the answer. But it doesn't mean that they know the answer. So that's why I ask it in question form. Then I also give suggestions. If I can kind of see it, which is like um, someone asked me before why I enjoy doing this so much. To me, it's like a puzzle. I love finding the problems and then the pieces just start coming together in my head and I see the solutions. So a lot of the times I will give suggestions and it doesn't mean that this is what you should do. But again, if you can see a suggestion to see what I'm talking about, then maybe your wheels will start turning and you can figure out how to put those puzzle pieces together. So that's what I try to do during the note during the notes stage. And yes, I will give you a recommendation because a lot of people want that because they think that's what's supposed to happen during script coverage. I give three recommendations um, just because people are looking for a recommendation when they do script coverage. So one of them is to pass as in, no, we're not going to look at this one page further. One is needs development as in like, yeah, you're on the right track. But, you know, here are some areas that you can work out. And then the other one is like, accept, like, sure, we'll take it. It's in a good spot. Um, So I do that in my script coverage. And that's where I usually tell people to start before they decide that they want me to do revisions or they want me to do a rewrite or anything like that. Um, Another uh, service that I offer is converting your document to final draft because a lot of people don't have final draft. So they're writing in Word. And they're or they wrote it in something else and they're able to put it in PDF or they have all these other apps these days that say you don't need final draft. <laughs> you know, why don't you use this app? Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually they want it to be in final draft. Um, I kind of call it transcription, but that's not what it is. You know, I'm not listening to someone's move, movie and writing it out. I am form, reformatting it into final draft. And a lot of people wonder why it costs what it costs, because they think that I'm just copy and pasting and then saving it as a document. Guess what? As soon as you copy and paste, that stuff goes all over the place on that page. Mm-hmm. So then I have to go letter by letter, line by line to put everything back into the right place. But also during that time, if you need me to, I will proofread and I will also, I always ask them, do you want me to put it into the final draft document exactly how you have it in your document? Because I will. If you want me to also format as I go, because maybe you put something in the wrong place, then I will Mm -hmm. do that as well. But sometimes people want it exactly how they did it and you're the customer. So that's what I'll give you. So I offer that as a service as well. Um, Then, like I said about script revisions. So my revisions basically mean you get your proofreading, you get your formatting, I will give you notes, and I will also do minor story editing and give you notes about why I'm making those changes. So I'm not the kind of person who will just take your script and make changes and then send it to you and expect you to understand. So because I'm trying to develop the writer so that you don't have to get me to do the revisions next time. Maybe you learned a little bit during this process this time. So I will tell you why I made this change because this is what it does for your stakes. or this is what it does for tension, or this is, this is what it does for this character or whatever, you know, information is necessary. I do that. So minor, I I consider minor story editing as 
what you already have on the page, but moving it around to make sure the story flows as it should. Sometimes that means adding a line here or there, but for the most part, what you have on page is working. We just need to reorganize it a little bit to get to get you a better a better story and uh, get you to the place that you're expecting it to go. Um, and then with rewrites, rewrites can mean I start from page one and start all the way over for you with your concept, with your characters and with us working with each other um, to reach the, the goal. Wow. Uh, this could also mean that you only want me to rewrite act one, or maybe you only want me to rewrite act two or act three, but then I always inform them. But that would mean once I rewrite it, you have to go back and rewrite act one and act three because they all are going to affect each other. So if I change something that happens in act two, then now you've got to place the breadcrumbs in act one for that to even pay off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So. Um, but you know, sometimes people, you have to know what kind of writer you are. Like if you're, if you're great at act one and that's what you do, you, you do act one. Well, you do act three. Well, but act two is where you need your help. I have no problem rewriting act two for you because then you'll know how to go back and make sure act one and act three, you know, complement act two, because you, you know, that you're good at, you're good at that. Yeah, but then, that, you know, cause that seems like that would be kind of treacherous, you know, just to have to rewrite act two alone, you know, like that, that, that really stands out as interesting to me. Yeah. And that's another reason why I write notes as I go, mm-hmm. you know, so they, so they can know, look, this right here changed. And the only way that this is going to pay off is, is if it's X happens in act one, some people will then know how to say, Oh, okay. I know how to put that in because they're great at writing act one. But for people who aren't great at, at writing at one, then it's like, yeah, you might as well let me do a page one rewrite. I'm just going to rewrite this whole thing, which yeah. I've done before. <laughs> you know, I've rewritten things, you know, from page one. I just I'm working on someone's rewrite right now and I'm only doing act one for her because she knows that she has a problem with act one. And then we'll see once she gets act one and she revises act two and three, I'm going to go then do a revision of her entire script to make sure that, you know, it's all flowing like it's supposed to. But it won't be a rewrite. Because rewrite is like full on changes in the story. It's it's me with my own ideas coming in and making this thing work. Whereas revisions, again, is just me kind of moving things around. So it just really depends on what the writer wants, which is why I try to, you know, when I say let's do a consultation, that's us getting on the phone talking about what process is going to be best for you. Because not everyone works the same way. So it isn't just a simple, hey, send me your script and I'm going to get it done. It's like, no, let's talk about what you need, what you want, because there are some writers out there who are just looking for ghost writers. Mm. And if that's what you want, say that up front. The price doubles because that means my name doesn't get to go on the byline. (laughs) You know what I mean? But say that's what you want. And then I can do that for you. But I, you know, prefer doesn't mean I won't take it because, again, I'll take your money. That's fine. But I prefer to help the writer get to the place where they're confident enough that one day they don't have to call me for it. Or one day they call me when it's all the way done because they were able to do it. And then now I'm just giving them notes so that they can kind of tweak here and there. Um, The other service that I offer is, you know, pitch consultations, which means that you are you already have your meeting. I am not a manager. I am not an agent. I do not make connections for writers. Mm-hmm. I have to say that out loud. <laughs> you know, that's not what I do. However, if you already have your meeting and you're already going in, then yes, I can help you get your pitch to the place it needs to be, whether that's the verbal pitch or the pitch documents. Again, I would rather you write the pitch documents and then I give the notes or, you know, do the revisions on it to make sure that it's doing what you want it to do. And if you want me to write the pitch documents from scratch, I can do that. But I would rather you do the work of the writer so that you can learn how to do it. And then I can help you through it. And then we can get on the phone or get on, you know, a FaceTime or something, and we can work on your actual pitch that you're going to do in the room. So those are pretty much all the services that I offer. And I also tell people if they just want to get on the phone and talk to me, cause I'm a cool person, we can do that too. <laughs> you know, right. sometimes, sometimes people, you know, are just sitting in front of a computer by themselves and they just need that encouragement, you know? And so like, we can get on the phone, we can talk about the industry, we can talk about the problem areas in your writing, or we can just listen to each other breathe if that makes you feel better. Well, it's amazing how a conversation with another creative can spark something in yourself and and kind of get you over the hump of of writer's block. But, 
Yeah, for sure. You're definitely so much more than than screenplay coverage. Sounds like, you know, it's a full suite of services there. And um, I also like the way you scale things, avoiding that one to five or one to ten scale, which really is sort of devoid of meaning, even though we tend to fall back on it because of its simplicity. Right. But but instead having a skill of, OK, I'm going to pass here. OK, this is in development. This is good to go. I'm curious, um, how many errors are are acceptable in the first 10 pages in formatting or in grammar um, if the story is good? Is there a, is there a point to which you stop reading any screenplay if you reach a number of those type of errors? All right. So. The thing that people, that writers have to understand is that this thing is totally subjective. So I'm going to give the answer for me, and I'm not going to say that it's the answer for anyone else. My undergraduate degrees are in English and journalism. So if I'm reading your screenplay and you have grammatical and spelling errors all over the place, I'm going to be done. Now, with that being said, (laughs) you have... You have hired me to give you notes, so I have to finish reading your screenplay. The difference is I used to be the person in development who you would be sending the screenplay to so that you could then get a meeting so that we could talk about taking on your your story. So when I was in that position, in those first, you know, I used to try to give people 15 to 30 pages. Most people will only give you, you know, about 15, but I would try to go to 30. Mm-hmm. If I'm reading, if I'm the person who gets to say yay or nay, and you have, for me, if you, if you, ha- if you have, it's hard to give it a number, but I'm just going to go with 10 because I can understand that if, if your eyes are the only eyes who have been looking at this thing for months <laughs> or years, you might not realize you didn't have a period. You might not realize you called this character, John, when his name is actually Josh. Like you mm-hmm. might have, you just can't see it anymore because you've been looking at it so long. Those kind of things I can give a pass. But if there's no punctuation whatsoever, there are never any, you know, capital letters where they're supposed to be, things are misspelled. It's like, first of all, spell check exists. Secondly, proofreaders exist. And if you know that when this makes it to my desk, I have the power of saying yay or nay, why wouldn't you want to put every effort into making sure that thing is polished? before it gets there. I always tell writers, know your strengths and weaknesses. And if you know that grammar is not your thing, or even if, you know, English isn't your first language, so grammar is not your thing, or English is your first language, but grammar has never been your thing. Reach out to someone whose thing it is. Because for me, if it comes to my desk, I'm done with it. Now, as a script consultant, again, it's my job to read it. So I'm going to read the whole thing. And my very first note is going to be nitpicky note. Mm -hmm. You have to read this thing with a fine tooth comb (laughs) before you send it out. Now they're not sending it to me because they're trying to get it purchased in that moment. So again, it's totally okay. But before you send this to your competition or, you know, to whatever studio you're going to send it to, you've got to get some proofreading and formatting done period point blank. It's always my very first note. What would you say is the most common mistake um, would be screenwriters amateur screenwriters, aspiring screenwriters make? Um, and and maybe what are the what are the most egregious? So maybe the most common and then what are the most egregious? I think it's the it's the same answer for me, for both. Um and it's the simple one, show don't tell. Mm. Screenwriting is all about action. And if you haven't taken the time to read screenplays, like just read screenplays, right? If you haven't taken the time to do that, you don't really get it because as a non-writing movie viewer, you think that you just sat through two and a half hours of people talking to each other, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. So when you make that movie in your head, you see dialogue first. So you start writing your screenplay and now you've got a screenplay filled with dialogue. Mm -hmm. But that's not what screenplays are about. Screenplays are about action. Screenplays are about reaction. Screenplays are about subtext. No one says, except for maybe me, everything that they're thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Most people are passive aggressive. 
You know what I mean? Most people are afraid to speak exactly what they uh, what they what they mean and feel because of whatever repercussions they've made up in their mind are going to come from it. So in a screenplay, you have to show us real people and real people just don't speak that way. They just don't. And because it's about the action, you have to be able to show me that same thing instead of telling it to me. So I think people find that hard to do. So what I always tell writers to do is go back and write your dialogue heavy scenes as nothing but action. Just action, nothing else. See if you can tell me that story. And then go back and fill in dialogue where only necessary. And I think once they learn that skill, it gets them to a better place. The other thing is, and this may you know, happen with people who've written creative writing a little bit more is that they'll tell me in the action what's about to happen versus just letting it happen so that I can see it within the story. So I tell people all the time, you are writing for the reader, not for the screen, not for the director, not for the award speech that you, that you think you're going to make in five years, (laughs) you're writing for the reader. And as the reader, I just want to read a story. As it's happening, real time, present tense. So don't tell me, and then she's going to do this. And then three pages later, she does that. Now you took away the surprise. Don't tell me. Right. Just show it to me. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? That's, um, that's, um, that last piece is, is huge. Um, just writing in the present. Mm-hmm. Um, writing, writing in that active Active voice is yeah, is an pr- actionable thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actionable things versus just you know, like it's great to know how people are feeling. That's something I will ask my writers all the time. How how do they feel about this? What's their reaction to, to it? But then give me something actionable that shows me how they're feeling. Yeah, e- exactly. And and just being able to do that consistently over. Uh, the span of a screenplay while maintaining the same tone is a little bit yep. more difficult than I think people bargain, uh, that it is. So, mm-hmm. um, luckily they, they have you, uh, the yeah. professional pen. Uh, so curious about a couple of things. These would be some rapid fire type of questions, but, okay. um, what is the best screenwriting book in your opinion? You know, I am not a person of screenwriting books, if I can mm. be honest. No, go for um, it. Yeah. Because I just, I, everything is subjective and everyone's saying the same thing. So if you find a book that's speaking your language to make it make sense for you, then that's the book for you. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think, I don't think in 2019, the, any of the books are brown, groundbreaking for me. Like the first book I read was Story by Robert McKee. Right. So that was, I don't know how many decades decades ago, but it was great for me in that moment, you know, and then I know other people enjoy save the cat, but you know, they're all saying the same stuff. They're just saying it from their point of view. So if you can find a book that's speaking your language that helps to turn those wheels for you, then go for that book. Yeah. My, my go-to is the screenwriter's Bible by David uh, Trottier. I believe is how you say his last name. Or maybe it's Trotter, and I'm just adding some extra letters in there to sound cool. Um, but it's uh, it's it's great, and it's not really um, it's 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 almost like an academic version of a screenwriting book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, what's the best script you've ever you've ever read? Oh, that's a good question. I just read uh, the Queen Sugar Pilot, and it's pretty awesome. Mm. Now, I just watched A Quiet Place, which is now my favorite movie of all time. Really? So I'm going to read the script. Yes. I'm going to read the script over the weekend because I think it has now changed my mind that I'm going to teach from that script when I start my screenwriting course on Monday. Right. Because you have a couple of workshops coming up, uh, one in Atlanta. And Mm -hmm. um, where's the other one at? It's online. Online. Yeah. One's a webinar. That's right. And one's in Atlanta. Uh, mm-hmm. Very, very affordable. I think this is cool. People should come to it. You have an all in class. It's $200. Um, 
That includes five sessions, 15-page script coverage, pitch prep, and a pitch night with producers, literary agents, et cetera. So um, that's a pretty darn cool event. So yeah. you're going to start teaching from a quiet place. Now you've piqued my interest. I'm going to have to watch it and potentially read it oh as well. Just watch it. It's yeah. going to change your life as a writer. I've been because using... It's, it's a... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's exactly what we just talked about, about show, don't tell. Because they can't speak. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. yet you get all of the information that you need and they can't even say a word. Yes. It's great. Yeah, I can't wait to check it out. I've been using uh, John August's uh, app, uh, We Can Read, and, uh, to read my screenplays because, well, first you can just upload screenplays that we get from all around. But then on top of that, he will publish screenplays that that he finds and just upload them as as gifts to the yeah. you know to the to the app user and uh, I used to use a program named scripted but they went out of business it was great mm-hmm. and but the only thing about that is that sometimes you wouldn't know where they were getting the script from what version would, it would be uh, uh, I think John August is a good job of curating and making sure the scripts look beautiful inside of his app uh, for you to read so Anyone out there looking for a resource for reading screenplays, I would say definitely check out Weekend Read. Um, and I don't think it's spelled out like weekend. Um, it's like one of those things they do today where they sort of truncate it. So it's like W-K-N-D. Right. or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's W-K-N-D Read. So there you go. Um, you kind of... Uh, have have gone across the the spectrum of your of your services, and we've gotten into your background. This is so much fun. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. I just have a few more questions, if that's okay. Okay. All right. Perfect. Um, for people who listen to this and immediately want to sort of enlist your services, mm-hmm. um, what makes your perspective unique, and what kind of stories do you like most? I think what makes my perspective unique is my background. I have participated in almost every aspect of filmmaking. You know, I've been in front of the camera. I've worked in casting. I've even worked at Dr. Phil. (laughs) (laughs) I have, you know, worked in development and I am also a writer. Um, And I've worked in production as well. So I I can kind of take all of that information and put it into working with a client. And I think that kind of gives me a unique perspective. Um, and when it comes to stories that I like, I, I'm very objective. So people tell me all the time, like, so what kind of stories, you know, would you rather I send you? And it's like, send me your story. I don't have to like it. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm reading it objectively. Um, but if I had to choose, I know I like to write thrillers, Interesting. <laughs> so maybe I like to read them as well. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely, when I'm working with clients, I, you know, I'm very objective. I do not take into consideration whether it would be something I would watch or not when I'm giving notes because it doesn't matter. Yeah. And, and that's interesting because I didn't see you as a, as a thriller uh, kind of person. <laughs> so that's, that's really fun. Um, you mentioned earlier in our conversation about being a woman of color creative of color and, and those people kind of uh, people of color actually kind of navigate toward you because um, you also mentioned early, early on in this conversation about trust and that those, yeah. those folks that are, that are black minorities, whatever they're, they have probably an inherent trust in you okay. um, looking in the macro of, of the industry I can't help but think about someone I admire and, and really respect, which is Franklin Leonard, who started the Blacklist. And I'm curious what your opinion is of his impact on the Black writer. I think it's awesome. I think it has opened a door for people to feel like they can have a foot in. I say all the time that Hollywood is the largest uh, gated community of the world, mm. <laughs> right? And we're all just on on the outside because we don't know anyone who lives there. So we're at the security booth and they're like trying to call numbers and they're like, yeah, no one knows you. You can't get in. So we're all just outside waiting. 
So having an opportunity to be able to have the password (laughs) so that we can enter is an awesome, awesome thing. Now, Mm -hmm. with that also being said, it has made everyone feel like they can be a writer. Right. So I think people have to understand that there is a skill to it. And now that there are people out there like me who are willing to help you through that process, especially if you've never done it before, there are some people who are going to be innately talented and without a set of education or anything, they can just get out there and write a a screenplay exactly how it's supposed to be. But for those people who kind of know that they don't know what they're doing, don't submit that information, that, that script yet. Mm-hmm. Because now you're putting out into the world what you're capable of when you don't even know what you're capable of yet. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Yeah. So it's like, yes, sure, you have a story to tell. Maybe writing will be the way that you do it. Maybe it won't. But utilize some other people's skills and resources like you would, you know, if you were planning a wedding, you'd hire, you know, a wedding planner. So if you know you're going to be writing and writing isn't necessarily your thing or you don't really know how screenwriting goes, reach out to someone before you submit to all of these places, because now your name is going to be attached to that work. And who knows if even in a week, a month or a year, you're going to be looking back at that script that you wrote going, oh, my gosh, (laughs) is that what I sent out? (laughs) You know what I mean? Exactly. And I think we all kind of have work we've done that's. Uh, that's like that for yeah. sure. Um, I, I know I'm I'm laughing to myself right now, Shannon, because I'm thinking of like at least five to ten different things that <laughs> I thought I think that uh, in the moment I thought were, were absolutely lit and are actually not so lit. Uh, so <laughs> actually not so awesome uh, to use to use the the common nomenclature. So. Uh, Shannon, this has been a blast. You know, the handful of times I've gotten a chance to chat with you, um, every time I leave inspired and energized by you. So thank you so much for all your insight today. Tell everybody where they can find you on social media and on the Internet. Great. Yes. Thank you so much. I I appreciate having the opportunity to speak to your listeners and congratulations on everything you guys are doing for the industry. So you can find me on Instagram at The Professional Pin. You can find me on Twitter at Shannon E. Johnson. And my Shannon is spelled S-H-A-N-N-A-N-E Johnson. And I have a Facebook page, The Professional Pin. I also have a Facebook page, Shannon E. Johnson. You get kind of the same information on both. And my um, website is www.ariterforyourwriter.com because that's me. I'm a writer for your writer. <laughs> I love it. That's perfect. And then are there specific websites? And if you don't have them, it's okay. Uh, I'll make sure that we we post them. But are there specific websites you'd like to share for any of your webinars or seminars? Yes, I actually have a free webinar happening tomorrow. I don't know if this is going to air in time for that one to come up, though. Will it? Probably not. Um, okay. That's the but, only but, one I have. But so maybe far. the next one coming up. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I'll just share those with you later as they come. Perfect. Yeah. We'll make sure that all the sort of contemporary uh, <laughs> links are available for for when this rolls out and, um, and make sure people have an opportunity to meet you in person, meet you on the web, meet you, uh, you know, via Facebook Live or, or, or any type of medium for sure. And, and it will be well worth, you know, everyone's while to, to do that uh, because you are a wealth of knowledge and experience for sure. Um, Shannon, one last thing. Do you have any parting thoughts for this audience? Anything you want? It could be words of inspiration. It could be advice. It could be uh, anything. Yeah. Um, I actually put up a post earlier today. Uh, It's a quote from Hal Crossman, I believe is how you pronounce it. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's Crossman. And now I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember the actual quote, but it's about writer's block. And basically saying that writer's block comes from a place of setting a higher expectation for yourself instead of being grounded in the place that you are now. Like let go of those expectations and just write. No one expects your first draft to be your final draft. Uh, that's that's a great way to end this thing. And um, honestly, that's that's fantastic advice for all of the writers out there. So Shannon, always a pleasure. Please don't be a stranger. And uh, if you ever find yourself, um, 
in Nashville, look me up. Yeah. And I'm in LA <laughs> all the time, so I certainly will do the same. Yes, please do so. I will. We'll make it happen. Talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Right. Have a good one. You Bye-bye. too, Shannon. Be good. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects and social media feeds, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash make it. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. If you do that, the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.